Do you like cats? And perhaps more importantly, do cats like you? If either of these two questions have ever vexed you, then the book we'll be looking at in this episode by Chaz, My Cat Hates Me, might be the book for you. But before we get to that book and my conversation with the guest for this episode, the book's translator, we have some news. And that is that I've changed the host of the podcast from Podbean to RSS.com and I've created a main website homepage for the podcast. So you can go to trichafic.com, T-R-C-H-F-I-C.com, and you can browse every episode and a whole lot of other goodies, and I've made it look extra pretty for you. So with that big piece of meta news out of the way, I've got three pieces of news in the Trichafic news, translated Chinese fiction news, that I've found for this episode. So the first one is a republication. It's an old sort of out-of-print book that's going to be resurrected. I think this is very exciting. I love this sort of thing. It's uh, Eileen Chang's Written on Water. It's an old translation, and it's going to be republished and reprinted by the New York Review of Books. It's got a very beautiful cover. So I believe this is a collection of short non-fiction essays and musings and what have you by Eileen Chang, Zhang Eileen. So pretty cool stuff. The next news item is that Riverhead Books have appointed an editor, an editor at large is the job title, who's going to be specializing in translated Chinese works. It's a lady, her name is Han Zhang, and she's said that she's looking for pitches for any sort of books that are translated from Chinese, basically. So this is really exciting stuff. It's cool that a publisher has appointed uh, someone just to work on this sort of thing. It's very interesting. And the third news item, this is from a more sort of, in- from the indie publishing world, the magazine Journey Planet, which I believe does a sort of different theme for each of its issues, uh, released in December a, sp- a special issue on Chinese science fiction. You can download it for free, just as a PDF. I don't know if print editions are going out there anywhere. You can maybe look into that if, if it interests you, but it is it is up there online for free. And it's bilingual, so it has things written by people in English, translated to Chinese, and I believe there is stuff that's been written in Chinese and translated to English as well. Uh, there are stories, there are essays, and there are quite a lot of friends of the show on this one. Um, I won't, I won't rattle through all the names, but if you've been listening to this for a while, um, then you'll you'll see some familiar names. It's it's very cool, so go check that out. The link along with all the other news items is in the show notes. That is all for the Churchific news. Got through it quickly today, so now we're going to go ahead with my interview with Gemma Stafford, the translator of My Cat Hates Me. On the show, we have Gemma Stafford. Gemma, fantastic to have you here. Can you tell the listeners a wee bit about yourself? Hi, yeah, it's lovely to finally actually be here after all of the trouble that we've had with various uh, pushing backs and stuff because of illness and seasonal affairs. So it's lovely to be here. My name is Gemma. I am a literary translator and I also specialize in the translation and localization of video games from Chinese into English. And I'm currently embarking on PhD research at the University of Leeds. Very nice. How did your um, journey with Chinese language, Chinese video games and all that begin? What was the starting point? I'll try and keep a long story as short as possible. But when I was a kid, um, I grew up in a tiny little town called Ilfracum in North Devon. We little seaside town, but it happens to have a language school in it. And we would host, my parents would be a host family for students coming from all over the world um, to to live with us while they attended the language of those students from Hong Kong, Taiwan. And that was when I was sort of first introduced to the concept of China, Chinese language, the 
the Sino world, as it were. Um, and that was kind of where my fascination began. And then as I got a little older, I was also a big fan of video games and various overseas cultures. And then the two kind of blended in with my my love of just general language learning. And after a bit of time out because of health issues, um, I finally had the opportunity to get back into education at the age of 25, um, little little while ago now, um, and pursue my interest in, in Chinese language and culture. And um, I've since completed a bachelor's at SOAS in Chinese modern and classical. I have a real soft spot for Gulvan. Mm. Um, also, I recently completed my MA in Chinese to English translation with video game localization specialization at Bristol University. And as I've said, I'm now doing a PhD in Chinese video games that are translated into English at Leeds University. Eminently qualified. <laughs> I'd like to say I'd like to say that, but um, I feel like I'm never qualified enough. <laughs> so if you're doing a PhD at Leeds, does that mean you know uh, Sarah and Francis from the, the Chinese uh, Center for New Chinese Writing? Ah, oh, as it just so happens, um, I know them vicariously. So I've actually, I'm a member, I've reached out to them, um, but I've yet to have the opportunity to attend any of the meetings because they've, they've actually, the salons that they run have actually clashed with uh, my schedule. <laughs> but I do know them and I look forward to uh, engaging with them on a more intimate level when I have a more cooperative schedule. But yes, I, I know them and I admire what they do a lot. Awesome. Um, I'll ask you one, well, I'm saying one more, we'll see, but I'll ask you probably one more question before I take us to the story for this episode, um, and that's about video games. So you said being interested in video games got you interested in other overseas cultures. Mm. Is that a euphemism for Japan and Japanese video games, given how big they are in the, the world of video games? Yeah, it ended up being Japanese games mm. primarily, um, because, well, the Japanese video games market was absolutely phenomenally huge when I was younger. Um, yeah. that's kind of what got, I think most people, my sort of age, you know, who are somewhere in that bracket, that millennial bracket, you know, yeah. into, uh, into Japanese culture. I was a spoiled little boy. I got Pokemon yellow and a Game Boy pocket when I was five in 1998. Oh, that's wonderful. Do you know, I, I was very lucky. I begged and I pleaded, um, my mom to, to get me and one of my sisters, uh, cause I have two young. Um, one of them was far too young for video games at the point that, that, that Pokemon came out. But me and my younger sister, who's not that much younger than me, um, my, we pleaded and mum got us uh, Game Boy Color each. One of us had Pokemon Red, one of us had Pokemon Blue. Oh, so we perfect. could trade with each other. <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, very, very soft spot uh, for uh, for Pokemon. But my big my big love is uh, is Final Fantasy more than anything. I'm a, I'm a big JRPG fan i was gonna oh. guess final fantasy i don't like to assume things about people but <laughs> oh if anybody who has had the misfortune of stumbling upon my twitter account will have noticed a lot of final fantasy related content um but yeah i'm also i'm covered in final fantasy tattoos i oh. am a very big fan i have a whole shelf of figurines i'm quite a nerd but i embrace it i i'm not really ashamed of it because if it if it weren't for the interest that i took in such highly narrative games, um, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. So, you know, I, I have a lot of love and appreciation for where that interest took me. 
I was lucky enough to spend some time in Japan uh, when I was 18 studying Japanese just for a couple of months at a language school. And really it was, yeah, it was a, a nice eye-opening experience because up until that point, I'd never traveled anywhere ever in the whole world. Gosh. So it was my first time going anywhere um, and I was going alone and it was literally the other side of the world. <laughs> right into the deep end. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it though, which is kind of also sort of what happened with, uh, you know, with my translation stuff. Um, it's it's one of those things where there's there's no such, you can't really dip your toes into translation. You kind of just have to get right into it. At least that's that's kind of how it's been for me. So I definitely encourage people to just kind of go for things if they want to if they want to give it a try absolutely yeah that's that's how this podcast turned out turned out for me for sure it oh. was just a case of hmm i'd like to maybe do this you know what, i will and then here we are i i would like to ask you about chinese video games but i have a question about that further down my little sheet of questions here so i'll sure. i'll keep us keep us on, on topic moving forward okay. the the book that we're talking about on this episode is one that you are you have translated and is on its way to publication in translation mm. in English. It's called My Cat Hates Me and it's by Bai Cha. So yes. could you tell us what's the premise of the book and are we even right to be calling it a book? That's a really interesting question because it's a book in terms of its structure. Like it's it has a front cover, a back cover, a blurb, <laughs> a contents page. Um, but I would argue that it's more of an anthology. It's interesting because actually there's five volumes and as the volumes go on, I would argue that they become better. Um, I should probably clarify what I mean by better. The first volume is the earliest work that Baichar produced around what's sort of generally known as the cat and dog books. And a lot of it is one-shot jokes, um, portraits with funny one-liners or quips. Sometimes there are references to internet culture and video game culture. But for the most part, there's there's nothing that's too sort of formulaic in terms of there's a beginning, there's a middle and an end, which is what you might sort of typically think of as a story. Um, but in later books, we have proper comic sketches where you know we have several panels some of them are just one page some of them are several pages where we're properly taken through something that's happening to a character or a number of characters and then there's some dilemma and then there's a proper ending or a conclusion so it starts out not so much as a typical book but the series ends up more like a typical book but i would i would regard them more as comics than perhaps classic literature in that sense. <laughs> okay, so it's a cat in a comic. There's a dog. Is it Chinese Garfield? I wouldn't say so. Not least because there's no lasagna. <laughs> but also um, because Wu Huang, the, the main character, who I've, I've named Your Highness um, for ease... <laughs> is sometimes quite moody, rude, a little bit aloof. But then you also get to see a very tender side of him as well um, at times. And he's a very 
spoilt cat, but he's formerly a stray cat, so he has quite a lot of backstory to him. And there's not just one cat and one dog, there ends up being a variety of characters. So there is the main cat and dog, if you like, Wu Huang and Badger Hei, um, who is like a little, an ugly little pug. Ugly or cute, depends on your perspective, I guess. Um, but he's he's very lovable, but he is he's very he's not very smart. He's not the brightest button. But they they get up to a lot of mischief, and later on, more members get added to the to the family. So we start off with one cat, one dog, and then there's another dog, then there's another cat, then there's a bird, then there's another bird, then there's another cat, and it it kind of spreads out, and it becomes more than just the life of these sort of very spoiled mischievous pets and becomes a lot more of an entire world and an ecosystem around uh around these animals and the way that they interact with one another and they develop their own personalities and they seem able to actually converse with the with the people as well that are that are in the comics later on like there are literally conversations happening directly between the cats and the dogs and the humans where we sort of moved away from the earlier work in which it's more sort of the the cat owner, Xiao Nian, uh, or kiddo, trying to to understand and get to know the cat, what it's like being a cat owner, what it's like being a dog owner. And later on, you know, you have this idea of they have this tacit understanding where they can just talk to each other. <laughs> um, so the characters develop a lot. Uh the second volume actually released just over Christmas, and the third volume is going to press right now. So I'd recommend people to maybe start at the beginning, just because it's the beginning. But also, it's not essential if you want to get into something a bit meatier from kind of the outset. Volume two has a bit more has a bit more meat in terms of story and character development. So if someone was to go. Looking to buy this book, it's it's out there in English now. Yeah, yeah, um, it's yeah. on Amazon. It's amazing. Quite easy to get hold of, as far as I understand it. It's on Amazon both in the UK and in the US. Um, I can't speak for the rest of Europe, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, but certainly, it's available. It's available on those channels. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Congratulations, I guess. It's a translation, uh, printed translation now in your name. Yeah, which is really surreal. Um, I have to be completely honest, it still doesn't actually feel like I've done something, if, if that makes any sense. I think it's just that very sort of... when you. I think a lot of translators will understand that feeling of you do your work, you go through the editing process, and then you submit it. But especially in the field of video game translation, which is my primary field, you don't often get to see the fruits of your labours. Um, right. So it's it's quite surreal to actually not only see it, but also to see that I'm credited in it. Video yes. game credits are seldom given. <laughs> right. Um, so actually seeing my name in the credits is still something I'm I'm trying to uh, digest. Yep, and you'll have to get um, all your friends and family um, office copies if you can. <laughs> I'll certainly try. <laughs> yeah, I just Googled it and I've already found there's your, your translation's been reviewed on animecafehost.wordpress.com there's a fairly long review of it already out there. I guess this person got themselves a 
advanced reader's copy. So yeah, I, I, oh, did, I didn't realize going I in. Seen that. <laughs> I, I've, I've got the link. I'll stick the link in the show notes for readers as well. But oh, yeah, thank I, you. I didn't realize going in um, that parts were already out. That's fantastic. I, I thought I'd, um, I'd mention something that I'm remembering looking at the cover of the book that's reminding mm. me of my contact of, well, my very minimal contact with these stories in the original Chinese when I was living in China. Um, mm. I remember I would start to see pictures of the cat on like, I don't know, br browsing websites or in ads or in gift shops. Mm -hmm. And he'd often have the little red emperor's hat on. And from what yes. I remember in, I took my mom and stepdad and wee sister to Beijing and we went to the Forbidden City. And I remember, I believe the, the Bai Cha's books with the cat were all over uh, the gift shop because there's a bit of a Beijing theme in you know he's got the emperor's hat and i believe yeah. pugs are originally from beijing if i've got that right um i couldn't possibly comment because without <laughs> sounding too ignorant i'm not a massive dog person right sorry to anybody who is now deeply offended by my existence i like dogs but i'm not one of those slightly eccentric individuals who goes into like breeds and right <laughs> things like that i've done a I'm, I'm far more of a cat person i'm sorry <laughs> i've done what i often do on the show after i make a, a, a dubious claim i stick the words into google yeah <laughs> pugs are from china um don't know i know that pekingese are yeah. obviously i mean the, the clues in the name um but i know that when i was when i was younger there was i went through a phase of really wanting a what's called a sleeve pekingese hmm. um which monks in uh in China, in particular, used to carry in their uh, in their sleeves because they were so tiny to ward away evil spirits and for protection, um, because their their posture and their backs remind people of of lions, so they're seen as uh, protected protective spirits. I can relate. I have a little um, pet African pygmy hedgehog, and oh, her favorite. They're, so cute. <laughs> they're they're ridiculous, but I think some of them have a personality where they always just want to borrow. So her favorite place to be is a sleeve. So, I relate. Yeah. Might be my spirit animal. <laughs> uh -huh. If I could fit in a sleeve, that's where I'd be. <laughs> it's crazy. Right, we've talked a bit about the book. Uh, I think I'll, I don't know if I want to ask you more about the, the its origins. Yeah, we should touch on this, I think. So am I right in thinking this began as a webcomic? It did, yeah, on Weibo. Right, right. Yes. So, in fact, some of the things, um, some things have changed slightly uh, from the Weibo content. And also some of the content of the book is stuff that was never published on Weibo. Mm. Um, I don't want to make any assumptions, but without trying to offend anybody who might be listening, just in case you don't know what Weibo is, it is a social media platform that's not terribly unlike Facebook crossed with Twitter. Um, so lots of picture posting, and it's not uncommon for people to share entire comic book strips um, or artwork on these platforms. So there would be times when I wanted to double check a reference. Um, so I would look at the original source material from Weibo um, and compare it with what I'd been sent. And sometimes there would be minor differences, but essentially they were only minor differences that weren't anything of particular note it was probably just for for ease of production would be would be my guess 
I think one of the hardest one of the hardest things when translating something like this that's very humor heavy um for me at least is certainly the I think every translator has this to an extent actually is I constantly reread um I wish I I wish I didn't <laughs> um but because I have a physical copy especially book 1 I constantly reread through it and now knowing what I do following later later content part of me sometimes it's like oh I could have translated it like this or I could have mm. worded it like that yeah and there's there's always that desire to keep going back and keep tweaking and honestly um god bless my uh my editor who uh who worked for the um for the publishing for the publishing house brown's books uh her name was julie i assume i can share that but she was absolutely brilliant and just kind of made made everything a lot nicer to deal with <laughs> especially in terms of you know when you do want to keep sort of going back and changing and tweaking things you know she'd sort of rein me in <laughs> yeah I, it's like the itch you need to keep scratching mm, absolutely even now i do still look at things and i sort of you know, mull over, oh man, I could have, I could have said this instead, or, or this would have, why am I only just thinking of this excellent joke? You know, it could have gone like that. But you do, you know, you have to kind of make peace with yourself, which I think is one of the hardest, um, the hardest things when particularly working with humour, because jokes are, well, there's so many jokes that you can make within the context of the material you're given, um, especially because some of the some of the content is um, very China-centric, mm. which required special care um, because on the one hand, you know, I really didn't want to lose the, the Chinese aspect of the source material. But on the other hand, I also had to be mindful that the primary readers wouldn't be familiar with a great deal of Chinese culture. And some of the jokes, um, especially like the memes, were extremely China-centric and absolutely couldn't be translated coherently. Some jokes needed to be completely rewritten to avoid um, potentially sensitive responses from people. Easy example, anytime any mention is made of, you know, beating one of the animals for its misbehavior. I mean, it's obviously a joke, um, but at the same time, there are people who might not necessarily see that it's a joke. It's a joke we wouldn't really make here in the West. Yes, exactly. It's not really something we would laugh about because, you know, animal cruelty is animal cruelty. So things like that needed to be tweaked or softened in some way. There was actually one instance that um, we really had to be very careful with so much so that we had to actually contact the, uh, the author themselves and kind of check that they were happy with us to sort of change the, um, the source as much as we did. Because it wasn't that it wasn't translatable, it's just that um, it wouldn't have gone down well with a Western audience. Um, I can elaborate more on that a bit later, but sure. I think for now that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wonder, I, I'd like to quiz you a bit more about the ins and outs of translating it, mm. but I realised there's something I maybe should have asked earlier, and that's about the the artist and the author, Bai Cha. Uh, my, I remember you told me this is Bai Cha as in like, white tea right so this is that's right a pen name. In fact, uh, it's even a joke in the book yeah. <laughs> so he um his his author name is by that's that's not actually his real name obviously yeah. it's an alias authors of some sort particularly comic book authors will have an alias but 
he's uh, one of the the most important modern self-publishing uh, comic artists in China at the moment. It's been he's been his work has been phenomenally successful. Um, as you've already mentioned, you know, you you went to the Forbidden City, one of my favorite places in the whole world, and you mm. found the work there. Yeah, in, <laughs> you in know, the um, shop, yeah. You know, because it's it has that kind of relationship, um, you know, of, of emperors and royalty. And then also, you know, I, I don't know how often uh, you use WeChat at all, but um, it's very common to see stickers um, and emotes of the cats and the dogs as well, sort of all over social media, particularly in WeChat. So they're, they're quite ubiquitous and people are very familiar with the characters that he's made. And I don't think that's just because it's funny, but I think that's also because what he's written is quite poignant. You know, he's he's very anti-animal cruelty, pro-animal rights. And a lot of it is also very human. You know, he acknowledges like people have their quirks and sometimes say or do stupid things. But even when that happens, you know, animals, animals will, your pets will forgive you. <laughs> Um, even if you don't forgive yourself. So it's it's very funny, but it's also very relatable. It's very touching at times. So you're saying it, it's a bit bit deeper than Garfield? Uh, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I guess that's a bit of a low bar, but yeah. Uh, what's the what's the reading level? Like how, what's the youngest age of kid you'd, you'd stick in front of this book? Hmm, this is an interesting one. Um, I guess it depends to a degree on your your personal culture, um, because there is some bad language from time to time. It's not particularly superfluous, but occasionally there are messages that are being delivered and the tone requires quite crude language. But I would say young teen, sort of 13 and up. If it weren't for the bad language, I'd say probably younger, <laughs> mm. um, maybe nine or ten. But there is there's something for everyone, you know. Like the the kids, kids will appreciate kind of the ha ha funny side of it, and adults will more appreciate the the relatable struggles. Um, particularly young adults who maybe spend too much time staying up late to you know to to play video games or to watch tv because it's the only chance they've got because they work all day um and then they spend all day absolutely exhausted because they haven't slept well but you know that's life <laughs> so there is there's something there for everyone for sure um and i think that in terms of the older generation in particular the character dad or you know dear dear he he really represents kind of the the older generation and his catchphrase is is kind of like oh young people today you know he's always complaining about how they're they're too soft or you know they they don't go to bed on time they don't drink enough hot water <laughs> these very um very sort of ingrained things that i think a lot of a lot of older people might relate to um whereas the young people will will probably more relate to uh, kiddo and kind of this you know this young person who's trying to burn the candle at both ends but also desperately wants a girlfriend but his dad's also pushing him to get you know get married so yeah there's there's definitely something there for everyone um of all ages i would say the the only the, the only factor really is the kind of the, the bad language that pops up now and again there's no gore or nudity particularly so it's just how okay are you with one or two um, naughty words. 
that's that's good to know. I can share this one around with even the most junior members of my family. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned there's haha funny that the weirdest ones might enjoy. What like is the humor? And you also mentioned memes actually, and I find that interesting because although for some people online, like millennials and Gen Zs, and maybe even for older people, if it's mm. different, like yeah, minion memes, memes are totally ubiquitous for a lot of people. Yeah. But they don't tend to make it into books. They probably have infiltrated television much more than they have, you know, printed printed mm. works. So where, what kind of humor is there? Are there more than, more than one kinds of humor? And how do memes, how do Chinese or international memes show up in uh, My Cat Hates Me? So they come up in a variety of ways. I think another thing we have to bear in mind is that this started out life as a, uh, you know, a published self-published online work through social media so being that it started life online it's not too shocking that online memes kind of have some crossover with it um the two of the two have blended <sighs> to think of you know particular particular examples there is one page uh that i believe i sent you sorry bear with me a sec while i do check that i did send that one to you you sent me this one and you sent me nozwa no dai or putwa busu yes buzo busu so that particular picture i didn't send you the whole frame which is a shame i probably should have so the top frame is uh kiddo as you can see on the bed i say as you can see i'm sorry anybody who's listening you can't as see. you can't see <laughs> as you imagine as you visualize yes if you if you can imagine close your eyes <laughs> children and picture <laughs> so we have we have our young man on his hands and knees on the bed and the cat's positioned behind him and thinking that he's absolutely hilarious he farts on the cat's face and the cat is somewhat appalled <laughs> like excuse me what do you think you're doing um and as this happens the following frame the door to the bedroom opens and there's a woman standing there we don't actually know who this is because we never see this particular woman ever again by the right. way <laughs> um this was possibly a progenitor character we don't know right um and obviously you know now our young man sees the woman here she's her eyes are blackened um basically you know she's like disgusted by what she sees like what the hell is this um and then our cat is saying buso buso, um which is a meme in china literally sometimes it's actually presented partly in english no zor no die and the best way that we found handle this um was basically to translate it as like you know play stupid games win stupid prizes um people talk about this uh, particularly in terms of like gacha games, for example, games where you can uh, spend money to perhaps uh, get lucky and draw a character of your choice or your, your preferred options in a, in a video game or in a mobile game. But people will often say no Zorno die if you spend all that money and you still don't get the character that you wanted. So you just ended up spaffing a load of money up the wall for nothing. And now you're poorer <laughs> and you still don't have what you want. <laughs> so it, it can be, you know, um, it can mean something quite serious, but generally it's more like a, a, an annoyance <laughs> and, and a mild, a mild embarrassment. Like, so, you know, if you do something stupid, then don't be surprised when bites you in the you ass, know, you have a stupid outcome. That re so seeing that frame was, was great because I think nose one was, nose one or die was, uh, 
at its peak of popularity when I was the, the Lawai in China,、mm-hmm. and because that's an English, well, pseudo English language meme, Chinese friends would would say it to me. They'd be like, "Ha ha, no zuan no dai," you know, and I'd be like, "No, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not really English. <laughs> Please explain." Um, but yeah, this was it's very much one of those things that required、uh, a fair bit of、uh, advice from 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 native friends,、um, yeah. because as you've just pointed out yourself,、uh, it might often be presented somewhat in English. But what does it mean? <laughs>、yeah. um, so you know, finding appropriate uses for it and really coming to understand the intent behind it was surprisingly、um, a surprisingly laborious undertaking, and that was quite reflective, actually, of of a lot of the the meme humor. Some of it was very apparent. For example, there was in in book three, coming coming soon.、Um, there is、uh, one particular frame that is a reimagining of a very well known. Meme from what I think was a, a prom photo or something like that、uh, from the U.S. of、uh, a guy making like you know a, kind of a claw shape with his hand, and the intention is that the girl next to him also makes a claw shape. You put your hands together, it looks like a love heart.、Um, but he puts his hand in a claw shape, ready to make a heart, and she just gives him a thumbs up, <laughs>、um, which really epitomizes、uh, kind of this melding of international humor. Um, this joke is completely understandable, no matter where you're from,、uh, um, and unsurprisingly, in a culture where people are pressured—well,、um, not pressured necessarily, but they—they they feel a certain degree of pressure to,、uh, you know, find a spouse and get married and settle down. Jokes about, you know, finding someone you like and then they just friendzone you is is quite a universal, <laughs> is quite a universal,、um, quite universal joke. Yep. So I think that's one that anybody could get. It doesn't. It doesn't need even to to have words because the the sentiment is very global. It's it's completely understandable. When I think of、uh, internet humor or just similarities and differences between Chinese internet users and every, everyone else, or ones I'm familiar with as an English language user of the internet, I think of the special emojis that WeChat has. Mm. And a lot of them are like very negative, but a lot of them、yes. are are like not very <laughs> expressive either. They're like someone dying inside or someone who's been、yes. slighted. And I do think, although it's slightly different in how it gets expressed, there's a lot in English language, Western internet culture. There's a lot of like dying inside, smiling on the outside memes as well. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's something that you know pops up a lot in these books. Uh, certainly, there are instances of characters, you know, giving a thumbs up, but then they're crying. <laughs> things like that, things that we we are very familiar with、um, and can absolutely relate to. We've all had those moments, I think. Yeah, totally. That、uh, um, it translates. Yeah. <laughs> so things like that.、Um, some memes. T- didn't require any help, but then things like no zorn no die absolutely required a lot of of、uh, thought. Um, and there was one instance in particular that was probably the biggest headache of the entire project for me,、um, and it probably, to be fair, caused my editor a few headaches as well. Which is a joke with its roots in the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Now, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, massively, massively famous, obviously in China, everyone knows what it is. In the West. 
people may know of it to some extent, but it's a lot less familiar. A lot less people are gonna know names, for example, from from the from the front, well, from the series, from the books. Um, but there was a moment in book three where an entire joke hinged completely on knowledge <laughs> of of the three kingdoms. Um, and even though the author, bless him, did actually put a little note in the frame explaining to the readers what the joke is referring to, that I don't think it wouldn't have helped English language readers um, because if it had been directly translated, it would have made literally zero sense. <laughs> so I don't know if you have it to hand, but it's a frame with Dadin. <laughs> something something. That's right. Um, so Lubu. Lubu, right. And Lubu is a character from the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. He's a historical figure, he's a real dude, he did exist. And basically it's man, this is one of those jokes that <laughs> had to be entirely rewritten because it made no sense whatsoever. I did, however, request that a note be made uh for readers to know what the original joke was all right so they could look into it if they were interested yeah but basically this this phrase as it presents in chinese makes perfect sense in context so the little bird on dad's shoulder it's a very cute little bird it is super cute he wants to he wants to call it lubu the cat on his other shoulder he wants to call renjong and he himself is Laudia. So to read the sentence in parts, Laudia Renjong Lubu is Dad Renjong, the the cat, Lubu the bird, which means nothing in English, but in Chinese can be also read. <laughs> it can be read as the characters' names, but it also can mean that dad is Lubu, a hero among men. <laughs> which is absolutely brilliant in Chinese. It's absolutely phenomenal, excellent wordplay. Ten out of ten. Loved it. And I, I laughed. I genuinely laughed when I read this. But then I started to cry when I realized I had to make this understandable. <laughs> um, it's a very funny illustration as well. It's it's absolutely brilliant. And obviously the guys in the background, um, Kido and, and Xiao Hai, they they have basically asked for for dad's help in naming this little black kitten that they found who's astray and um he's he wants to he's like oh i've got this other friend now i've got a bird as well let's let's name them all and he's naming them he wants to name them stupid things just because you know there's a joke in it basically it makes them sound good they are they're not impressed but it's <laughs> It's an excellent joke in Chinese, but it had to be completely rewritten in English. Um, and for the purposes of this joke, we literally had to name name the cat and the bird one thing just for this joke and then rename them for the rest of the book hereafter forevermore. Right. So their names actually ended up having to, to change um, twice. Uh, whereas in one case, uh, the bird's name changes hereafter in the source material but the little cat's name doesn't change mm. from here on after in the actual source material um renjong stays as renjong 
And we played with some name ideas like middleman, for example. And in the end, like, because there were other jokes that actually tied into the characters' names, <laughs> we ended up changing them again. Oh. Um, so he ended up being called Bobblehead in the end. So it was, um, it actually took a month, <laughs> I think, to resolve this. <laughs> Backwards and forwards with the editor, um, having to constantly change things in light of uh, other jokes that also were name name puns and and such. That that was kind of the the biggest challenge. I think series was like when there were names that were in or or phrases even in some cases there were entire phrases that were just one hundred percent wordplay or they were uh, Chongyu like idioms um that had been kind of bastardized i guess in order to 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 change slightly just for the purposes of like a punchline um or worse it was a bastardized strong you that then an entire joke was built on and everything had to be kind of like redone <laughs> so yeah i think that in terms of uh in terms of, of memes and jokes that's sort of where the meat of it where the meat of it sat was you had to be aware of internet culture such as the no zor no die and there was more of that later on in, in other volumes as well but i i won't go into that too much sure and then also trying to navigate not taking away from the chinese humor but also maintaining the joke <laughs> i think that that was one of the the biggest the biggest challenges which brings me to like one very special point i think um, for me at least, and I don't know, maybe maybe you'll relate to this as a, a literary buff as well. A couple of years ago, I was watching the recording of Nikki Harmon giving uh, a talk at SOAS right. about um, how she approaches translation of literary texts. And she just um, not long uh, had, had another book published. And she focused on just one aspect, which was translating the characters' names. Mm. Um, and this this was kind of an eye-opener, especially when I started working on this book, because you had to kind of decide, did the audience need to know what the meanings of people's names were in order for it to, to have importance for the reader, for them to understand certain links or connections? I think the example she gave was a character just simply called like Big Boss or The Boss. Mm. And then there was another character who was called Happy. Oh, yes. from That's a Jiaping Wa character. Yes, that's right. And so it was kind of this discussion on when to and when not to translate names. Um, and that kind of really, that really stuck with me, this idea of names as an important contextual feature for the reader. And so when I was approaching characters, there were times that I translated the names as literally as I could. And in one case, in the case of Xiao Hai, I actually kept her name as it was. Um, because ultimately I didn't want readers to forget that this text is originally Chinese. <laughs> Hmm. Um, I think it's it's important that that the source material is still represented within itself. Um, 
because in a lot of cases, for example, like town names, there were there were name places like Badaling, for example, which as you as you probably know is not far from not terribly far from Beijing. Yeah, the um, Badaling Great Wall is what pops into my head. Oh, you've you been to that. the Great Wall. Not not at Badaling, but I know that's one of the ones you can get it to is, quickly yeah. from Beijing. So a lot of um, you know, I I went there for other reasons, um, <laughs> but. It's um, it is one of it is one of those places. So people people know of it, um, and in China certainly, most people will have heard of battling precisely because it's one of the points at which you can mount the Great Wall. But to people, perhaps typical uh, American audiences, for example, are not going to know what that is or to to understand. So when names popped up. I sort of discussed this with the editor, and we decided to neutralize names that might be perceived as hard to pronounce um, or that people wouldn't understand the joke. Um, so, if the joke is, "Oh, uh, this place is as big as this city, but it's a city no one knows," right, um, yeah. then we would just call it like um, what was one example, like Townsville City Home. You know, just make up some. <laughs> You know that it's a place; it's a location. So things like that. Um, it was it was decided that in those instances, new, neutralization would be the best approach um, because we didn't want to omit things, but at the same time, we also didn't want to alienate any readers who felt that they just yeah. couldn't handle what they were looking at. Yeah, they they picked up a book of like comic strips about cats,、yeah. and then they find that they have to pronounce dojo or something. That's, yeah, exactly. You know, they're they're expecting something lighthearted and fun,、um, and probably a geography lesson wasn't on the cards. <laughs> <No> . <laughs> so, you know, for for that purpose,、um, place names were often neutralized,、um, and some character names, for example, Lao Wang,、uh, kiddo's neighbor. We, I considered like keeping it as it was in the beginning. Um, just because Lao Wang is kind of like the equivalent of like you know Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones next door, like Wang is like a super super common name.、Mm. But in the end,、um, looking at other jokes that he was involved in, we realized. Well, I realized that actually it would be better to translate his name as Mr. King.、Um, oh right. And later on, it gets dropped just down to King and becomes kind of its own joke,、um, in a manner of speaking, where characters just like Hey King, Hey King, Hey King. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely had a lot of a lot of fun. But it's surprising how much thought and and time actually really goes into just even deciding how to how to name people. <laughs> totally, I have a story from my own time when I was with Sinuist Books. I worked on a again Jiapingwa book with them.、Mm-hmm. Its Chinese name is Lao Sheng, as in like. Uh, the role from Chinese operas, the, like the old、mm. old man figure. Yeah,、uh, yeah. But the title that、uh, we went for collectively was the Mountain Whisperer, which is makes sense in the context of what the story is about. He's a former Lao Shong who has become sort of like a sage up on the mountains, and I I think I I was trying to think of some title that was、um, I don't know. I'm sure I had my own agenda. I was pushing for my own idea. Uh, as I want, and one idea I was a bit attached to is just keep the Chinese title Lao Shong. Like, h- how hard is that pinyin to read? 
People can read mm. that. It's got no Zs, no Xs, no Qs. Mm. Um, but then one of the editors said, or wasn't it? Some someone else on the team said, no, that's no good because people will read that and say that as uh, Lao Sheng. You know, yeah. they're not going to get the Shong right. And it's like, oh yeah, fair, fair. Um, and uh, this, the dad's name in in this book, um, Lao Dia. That actually reminds me of a book, a, a translated Chinese book I read recently, mm. uh, where I came across Dia for the first time. As I understand mm. it, Dia is a word from the north. Yes. So living in China around Jiangnan, where I lived, never met any Dias. Ah, oh, right, right. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of northern accents. Like I, when I was learning Chinese, all of our teachers insisted that we learn like Arhua. Mm. So. Everything is very northern to me. <laughs> I think it's crazy that that's the north is considered like the what would you call it the civilized like PR source. English. Yeah, the PR, but they yeah. all sound like pirates. Like what? Yeah, you can't. <laughs> it was great for me because I come from Devon, so for me that's just my normal Art. accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I like it so much. Yeah, like the... JBR, NBR. The holy... You know, it's just it's my normal my normal voice. Holy Trinity of Beijingers, pirates, and English farmers. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, Dia came up in uh, Harry Goldblatt's translation of Sandalwood Death by Moyan, yeah. and in his intro, he explains a few choices he made, and one was to keep translate Dia as just you know uh, Dia. Uh, not turn it into like dad or something because he thought it had oh, some special. No. I know. Oh, no. I... Then everyone's going to read it as die. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. He stuck an H on the end of it. He deviated from pinyin because he didn't mm. want people to read it as die, oh. which I think was a good choice. Um, I think, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't know. That was. It's just these little things that yeah. readers would probably. Your, I guess, your job is to spare readers ever having to think about things like that. Yeah, definitely. And I, it's funny because that I do have these kind of blinkered moments, I think where, you know, where you and I are, you know, at least reasonably competent um, readers of the source material. Oh, I'm, um, I'm, I'm not. I have passing <laughs> Chinese, fading Chinese. But yeah, I can engage in a simple conversation about translating one word. Well, I'm, I'm sure that you're probably better than you think. Um, because all everybody is always, but like it's. I think it's easy to to kind of forget that there will be times that to you or to me, it's it's obvious that something is pronounced a certain way, and then when you present it to someone else, they're like, it's pronounced like this, and you kind of feel like they've just committed a war crime, <laughs> because it's like how could you get it so wrong? I often use my partner as a fantastic test dummy for these things because he has no head for languages, bless his soul, and. If ever I send him a Chinese name, and for example, um, just as you mentioned, actually, if it starts with ZH or if it starts with an X, he just loses his mind. He's like, this doesn't, it doesn't sound anything like it's spelt, like this makes no sense, like mm. this shouldn't be pronounced the way that you're pronouncing it, you know, and I'm like, oh, it's pronounced like this. He goes, no, it isn't because it's spelled like this. So it must be pronounced like this. <laughs> um, so, you know, so it's, it's a great way to kind of remind you, remind yourself <laughs> Um, you know, the, the average reader isn't necessarily just gonna look at it and, and immediately click, you know. Um, and that's, for me, that's been a very important lesson. 
because even, you know, even when I'm working with other people, I tend to be working with other people who understand Chinese or are themselves Chinese. So it's very easy to, to kind of get caught up in this bubble and forget that not everybody sort of just gets it or has had that exposure, you know. For sure. The, I've said on the podcast before, so I apologize if listeners feel I'm repeating myself, but the, <laughs> the first place I lived in was a county, in, in, the first place I lived in China was a county called Duqing. So I realized pretty quickly, I can't, I can't say Duqing, people will look at me like I'm mad. And then <laughs> my parents kept asking me, like, where's this place you're staying? And within a year, they got it. Okay, it's uh, the Q isn't, the, it's not the Anglo Q. No. And the E isn't the Anglo E. Um, I think I should take us into our next set of questions because sure. we're um, we're having a little bit too much fun. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay, it's okay. So I'll ask you a bit about video games now. Oh, no, 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 I won't. I'll ask you about the, um, sort of a bit more about translation. Um, so first I'll ask you, being a, primarily like a video games localization person and a, a, a student, I guess, how did you get yeah. this job working on a book? And how did you begin to approach it? Did you bring in your previous work experience or was it sort of starting from scratch? Okay, so this this is, um, I would like to refer to it as serendipity because to me it just felt like luck. I had just so happened to fairly recently been doing uh, Bristol Translates with, um, oh, do, do I need to explain what Bristol Translates is? Maybe I do. Uh, in a sentence, perhaps? Okay, so Bristol Translates is like a language workshop, I guess, um, that Bristol University um, began hosting a couple of years ago. And it's an opportunity for specialized translators to kind of get together and work as, as teams, um, translating certain texts and also having seminars with experienced translators such as like Nikki Harmon, such as Hallam Wang, um, and kind of learning from them and just gaining some, some really valuable insight. Um, and I'd had the great pleasure of, of attending one of these things and I'd, I'd happened to connect with, with Hallam Wang and uh, probably you are already quite familiar with Helen. Um, she's actually written one of my, well, written, she translated one of my, my favoritest books, which was uh, uh, Bronze and Sunflower, uh, which I know technically it's a kid's book, but it's so beautiful and it has some absolutely phenomenal uh, examples of engaging readers in learning which for me was such a fascinating topic that I actually wrote an entire essay on it during my, my MA. Mm. Um, and I was just so enamored with having the opportunity to meet her that I actually kind of reached out and was like, I love your work so much. Yeah, I had a bit of a fangirl moment. Um, <laughs> and um, we kind of just kind of got chatting and, and acquainted with one another from there on. And a couple of months later, she reaches out to me and says, oh, do you, you know, would, would you be interested in doing a certain project i have a friend who's looking for someone to do something but it's not really my my thing and i said sure i would speak to them and kind of that's that's where it went from there so i spoke to them i was given a sample text and had a look at the sample text felt pretty comfortable with it gave my sample to the company or to the publisher the publisher then arranged a meeting with me 
and I, I spoke to I spoke to them face to face in a meeting. We had a chat about kind of approaches and and things like that. Um, and it it just kind of went from there. Um, after that, I was given all five as a project. Um, told them roughly what my time schedule would be, and and kind of that's that's how. I kind of fell into it. It was it was just incredible luck, and I feel so grateful <laughs> because it's been a, it's been a wonderful a wonderful ride. Um, I've had so much fun um, with this project. Um, I have brought some of my past experience into it. Um, perhaps the most unexpected experience I brought into it was when I was doing my BA um, in my final year of the four years. I actually specialized in uh, the classics. Um, in Chinese Guwen. And it was quite surprising how often that came in handy <laughs> uh, because of certain jokes and references actually being, you know, having their basis in, in classical stories or or in Chongyu that were perhaps um, things that I'd come across during my time doing, doing Guwen studies. And also that tied in again to my experience with video games because when you are um, in the video game field, a lot of new memes and and jokes kind of pop up. And interestingly, a lot of it ha there was a lot of it in there, which in a way came quite naturally for me because being a gamer myself, I guess I just without sounding too spiritual about it, I just kind of got it. <laughs> Vibrating on the gamer frequency. Which transcends all languages. Yeah, exactly. It was it was the vibes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, a lot of my video game specialism is in narrative uh, as well, rather than kind of things like UI or technical text. So, I had a lot of experience um, already translating stories in particular, um, and and spoken dialogue, and kind of putting putting voices to characters. So it was actually really lovely to have an opportunity to do that, but with characters that were, were more long-term with, with video game characters, you kind of, you have not necessarily so much, you know, they have a, they have their story and that's it. And then you don't come back to them ever again. <laughs> so it was kind of nice to, to build, build a relationship uh, with these characters and kind of really, really get into their voices and get into their heads. And it was, yeah, it was just very good fun. Right. That goes really neatly into the next question I'll ask, which is just, what's it like translating video games from Chinese to English? Okay. Um, well, what is it like? <laughs> this, this is a very broad question. Um, so I'm, I'm very lucky because I happen to be, um, I have a, a good number of friends and colleagues who are also very skilled Chinese into English uh, video game translators. And also they work the other way as well. Some of them are native mm -hmm. Chinese into, into English. So we have like an excellent support system um, and we, we just kind of have a really good time. But it means that kind of we are, we're kind of an, a network, if you like. Um, a little, a little clique. So we often tend to discuss how we work. And for me in particular, I find that there are two key, um, there are two key things 
when translating video games. And the first most important one is time management, <laughs> which can be really stressful because sometimes you don't know who the other people you're working with are on a project. So you have to kind of constantly check in um, and make sure that everyone's kind of on the same page as much as you can. And the second thing you have to be aware of is that very often the challenge is not in the translating itself. The challenge is in project management. So while your games itself um, is actually, for me at least, very exciting, very enjoyable and rewarding, um, and I, I really love what I do, it's not always the most enjoyable job, <laughs> uh, just because there can, there can be situations uh, where communication isn't excellent, uh, especially because of time zone differences, you know, they're, they're eight hours ahead a lot of the time um, and it can be quite hard to kind of meet in the middle when you have any questions or confusions and also if there's to, to be kind of crass and bring money into it if there's any kind of issues with payments for example that can be really hard to to kind of rectify <laughs> again because of time difference and also payment uh payment difficulties um i'm not sure if you're aware but payments uh from Chinese banks into international banks is uh, a very complicated affair. I'm intimately familiar with these pains. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as I as I have found on numerous occasions, has become literally impossible. Mm. So that has meant that a lot of companies that I work with have now had to uh, change their system a little bit so that payments are made to you through subsidiaries that are perhaps in Hong Kong or are in Singapore, you know, so they're outside of kind of mainland jurisdiction. But that in itself presents a lot of communication issues <laughs> and a lot of running around. So the the actual translating and working with a team and the actual work itself is is great. I would encourage anyone who's interested and has a has a love of video games to to give it give it a shot. Um, but just be prepared for uh, a certain degree of red tape and probably one or two kind of hiccups <laughs> along the way, but it's worth it once they're ironed out. I can kind of relate. The job I'm finishing up in 12 days is a, a edit editorial position on a trade like B2B, but mm -hmm. quite fun for a B2B magazine. Uh, so it's my job to commission, edit and write articles. And you'd be amazed how much of my job is just writing emails yeah it's it's um <laughs> incredible how much better of an emailer i've become over the last year and a half but also how much speedier i i remember <laughs> i remember when i took time to write beautiful polite emails and look, mm. those days are gone now it's functional i i relate to this i i used to be so in do you not do you know what i mean when i say i used to be so incredibly british in my emails like i'd be so overly polite and very patient and many pleases and thank yous and oh but and now it's just it's kind of reduced down to like a single sentence and sounds good <laughs> let me know if you have any questions bye yeah exactly <laughs> the floweriness has gone out the window <laughs> let me know if you have any questions is uh that goes through my head when i sleep i think at this point <laughs> it's it's bad um so yeah so i'm i'm not shocked that it's not all glamour i'm just wondering um like i i can this this is in my next question. I'll just read what I've written. Where are your translations 
published, who's consuming them, how much contact you have, if any, with the gamers. And the bit I haven't put in this question, what sorts of games are they? Are they like mobile phone? Because when I think of Chinese video games, I basically just think of mobile phone games, uh, yeah. plus maybe some outliers like Gu- Gujian that I covered on this yeah. show. But like of the two Chinese video games I've played in my life, one was Gujian, one was a very adorable animal uh, rest. Yeah, I think it was just called Animal Restaurant um, from from Sichuan. Oh gosh. Okay. So, um, sorry. What was the first part of the question? <laughs> sorry, it's quite a list. Sorry, it was there. a long, a long question. Um, maybe first I I'll forget that big long question. <laughs> Uh, what types of games are you working on? Is it all sorts? Is it predominantly mobile games? Like, um, Generally speaking, the biggest market for games in China is mobile games. So it's not really a surprise uh, that most of the games are intended for mobile uh, consumers. However, a lot of these games do also have uh, like PC ports or they can be run on PC as well. But generally speaking, I would say that like, yeah, 90% of them are mobile centric titles. Um, And also for the most part, I've I've done a bit of everything. Like there's been MOBAs, there's been tower defense, uh, there's been RPGs, um, like family party quiz games. Um, Yeah, right sexy spy mysteries (laughs) there's been a little bit of everything but primarily uh, my specialism and the thing that i tend to kind of let headhunters um and other kind of employers know beforehand is my specialism really is kind of fantasy uh fantasy uh narrative so i'm capable of most things um but that that's my preferred field um, and um, perhaps unsurprisingly, most of my biggest projects have been in those fields. There's one that I can't, I'm not allowed to talk about it too much, but I can at least say there is one game that I'm currently working on for a big company. Again, I can't, I can't say anything too much, but it's, um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, that, that's very classic high fantasy, um, game. And I'm responsible for probably most of the uh around about eight hundred thousand words of dialogue so that's, that's quite so a big it's, one. it's not pac-man then. it's not pac-man no it's, it's quite it's quite a bit more extensive um and in the past i'd i'd also worked on very sort of narrative and story heavy um titles such as afk arena um with lilith uh lilith games um, I don't do any work for them anymore, but I had previously worked for them for two years. And in that time, I was responsible for about 90% of new character content and dialogue, um, any kind of new new quest uh information so really kind of telling stories and and creating voices is is the thing that i do most and the consumers and the users tend to not really engage with me at all but they do engage with what i've written quite extensively i apologize if you said this earlier and i just uh, it didn't register are you sorry so are you primarily translating stuff into chinese from international companies or is it the reverse it's the reverse. I translate from Chinese into English. Right, right, right. I've been raised 
by my, uh, you know, by my, my teachers, by my education system, um, that basically translating into your mother tongue is the only way. Right, right. So that's, that's the way I operate. And to be honest, it's probably just as well, uh, because I, I'm a very competent reader, but my, my writing, my grammar is, I would hand on heart, just straight up be honest and say, I, I speak and I write English. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very much the, the receiver and not, not the creator in that regard. Gotcha. So when you're bringing f- Chinese fantasy games, mm. uh, your speciality into English, is that Chinese style fantasy? Is that like xianxia and stuff? Do you know, it hasn't actually been any xianxia, um, which oh. is funny because when I, when I first kind of started translation, I was helping out in a manhua translation circle. And I thought that I would be translating xianxia um, because I, I, I read xianxia. It's, it's good fun. But actually, no, it's all very Western style, kind of Lord of the Rings-esque uh, fantasy. Dragons. Yeah, very much so, which is, is quite quite different. As I, you know, as I say, I was expecting to be uh, kind of up there doing content that was very much like Gujian, you know, as you just mentioned. Um, mm. Gujian 3 is an excellent game, by the way, if you haven't played it. Um, give me a go. It's the embarrassing thing. At the time when I was doing that episode, uh, the only powerful laptop in the house was my girlfriend's. So I gave her the money to buy it on Steam because I felt I should. I really ought to play this thing before talking about it. It's quite an expensive game, mm-hmm. and only I only played it like I think I did a really crappy attempt at live streaming playing it, and then that was it. I haven't gone back to it because it's on her laptop. Yeah. So I really, I really should get stuck back in. I, I definitely advise you don't play with the English language setting. Um... The voice acting is horrible. I'm very sorry. Whoever was responsible for that, it's probably not your fault. It was probably the direction you got. But um, yeah, it does have an English language dub, but it's not of the it's not of the best uh, quality. <laughs> so if you can stomach the Chinese with subtitles, recommend it. I don't remember which one I used. I do remember. Um, I remember the visuals. I remember. Um, I remember thinking, "This is easy now. This is going to get hard later." Yeah, <laughs> those were my main thoughts. I thought I have to buy, I have to, or connect, get find a way to connect the Xbox controller we've got up with the laptop. Mm. Otherwise, otherwise, I'm screwed. I can't can't play a game like that on a keyboard, personally. If you've got um, a male female uh, USB, if you're running the game through Steam, it will automatically recognize it. Oh wow. So God bless. That's that's how I use the control pad with my laptop. <laughs> I just plug the control pad straight in, and it immediately it clocks it and knows it knows what it is. It's magical. Magic, magic. Um, speaking of magic, well, speaking of words that begin with M, like magic, <laughs> I'll take us to the miscellaneous section. So the first miscellaneous question is always: Can you suggest a Chinese word of the day for this episode to capture the spirit of Bai Cha and Wu Huang and and so on. Do you know it absolutely it just it has to be no zoa no die. Nah. It has to be because like you can apply it to so many situations that appear throughout the entire five books. It's so funny and so relevant. <laughs> it's it's gotta be no zoa no die. Excellent. I remember when I first got told or no zoa knows that no die was first said to me and I was told what it was. It's like eh it's not very funny, 
But then I realized, oh, this is actually an incredibly useful phrase. I'm going to keep using this. Oh, it's phenomenal. <laughs> it ends up becoming a part of your being. <laughs> the the talking the talk about gamer stuff and um, Chinglish or English stuff mm. being brought into Chinese reminded me of a. I had a brief stint teaching at a training school for adults for eighteen plus. And there was this guy in one of the group classes I had a few times. He was um, he was about three times nerdier than anyone else in the groups. But and he was his English was okay, and he had like had some confidence, but also was very shy. And if he if he got something wrong, and he really embarrassed himself, he'd always say "gg." Yeah, (laughs) gg. Yeah, good game. I don't play enough games to come in, come in contact with this in the wild, but it means good game. You say it at the yes. end of a like an online game, and um, I guess Chinese. I learned from this guy. I was like, oh yeah, so I guess Chinese gamers use that because why not? It's it's two letters on the keyboard. Easy. Yeah, it's easy to remember. Gets the the point across. Um, I tend to when I think of gamer slang in particular, there are certain there are certain ones that I'm surprised. Um, I don't see actually in uh, in more more things, but maybe it's because they're possibly a bit too Western centric. But certainly, one of my favorite ones is when you just say F. <laughs> <laughs> or press F to F in the chat. Yeah, F's in chat. F's to pay. Press F to pay respects. You know, because it's obviously it's it's an old meme, um, but it's still very it's still very relevant whenever anything goes wrong. Again, it feels very no zor no die. Like to me, no zor no die and F are kind of the same thing. And if anyone's listening and doesn't get that, look it up. Because that one is funnier the more you learn about where it came from. Yes, stupid, absolutely. Uh, stupid Call of Duty <laughs> game. Uh, my next miscellaneous question, I think I normally give an answer for this one, but because I've not read the whole book, I'm probably going to abdicate my responsibility on this one of suggesting a piece of music to pair with My Cat Hates Me. I just, oh, I just don't know many cat-related songs off the top of my head. Um, do you do you know how, what like if you could make a Garfield style film? Tom Jones, what's new pussy girl? <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> I'll type that in. What's new pussy cat? Pussy cat, pussy cat, I've got flowers and lots of hours to spend with you. So go and part of your cute little pussy cat nose. Pussy cat, pussy cat, I love you. Yes, I do. You and your pussy cat nose. What's new, pussy cat? What's new, pussy cat? Does that, that, that? That seems like it could have the right vibe kind of silly it's weird because yes um like as as the the books go on as the stories become longer it becomes a lot more about like what's happening to people now like what is it this time what is that time it also in a weird way it becomes less about uh it becomes less about your highness himself and it becomes a lot more about like everybody um, but always, it's very much like uh, what's happening now. Hmm. There you go. And I'm going to throw one in because it's the first thing that comes into my head. And it's a, I think this is like a sweet, cute little song. I'm not sure. 
It's called meow, exclamation mark, meow, exclamation mark, space tiger. And that's by a band called RX Bandits. If that does not fit, I'm going to delete this bit. <laughs> Next, next. Either, it's either that or like the Nyan Cat. Like, oh, yes, pound. yes. Like the, the Nyan Cat don't wav. You know what? Screw, screw our ex bandits. I'll just, <laughs> we'll just say Nyan Cat. Okay, uh, my next question, this is the bonus question for Patreon subscribers, so if you're listening on the main episode, you will hear blah 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 blah, blah. but if you <laughs> are subscribed to the Patreon and stick around, this little segment will pop up in your feed eventually. So the question I've got for you, Gemma, is if you could bring any piece of internet media from Chinese into English, what would it be? So this could be anything oh. from a thousand chapter web novel to one meme okay i'll lead us out of the bonus section now people are hearing our normal voices they've missed this they've been listening to the scrambled stuff a few seconds of that well <laughs> listeners you just missed out on a moderately long conversation about ship posting so <laughs> that's up your alley get yourself onto the patreon and, and wait until this one goes out because I don't know how long the show's gone without the word shitposting appearing in the conversation, <laughs> but we, we got there. Episode 84, <laughs> 3, and we, we got there. That's the end of the miscellaneous section now. So just the last section is the further reading. This might be a tricky one, but if, if our listeners wanted more like My Cat Hates Me and its subsequent volumes, uh, is there anywhere you'd send them? Oof. Um, first of all, I would go on to Amazon, um, because even though they're not all published yet, they are wishlistable. Mm. <laughs> so uh, keep an eye keep an eye out on Amazon um, for the rest of these releases. As I say, volume one and two are already available. Um, if you just generally want to read funny animal content, I have to admit there isn't anything quite like this. And I'm, I'm quite a, a prolific uh, manga manhua reader. I guess possibly if you are looking for something cute, maybe you could venture into the uh, realms of finding the Chinese uh, editions of Hamtaro. Yeah. 
which is, is very cute. It does exist. Alternatively, if you want, if you just like cats and maybe you also, like me, have a strange interest in Zen Buddhism, there is a book called Zen Cats, which is a beautiful photo book um, combined with Zen poetry uh, and and cats sleeping in very Zen places, looking very chill. It's, it's a beautiful book um, and also a lovely appreciation of cats. Nice. Um, but to be honest, that's that's all I have. Um, it's this particular series is really one of a kind. There isn't anything quite like it. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I can't think of anything great. I have a few mediocre suggestions. Garfield. There are Garfield books mm. in print. Uh, Cat Country by Lao Shu. I've covered that on the show. Oh, yes, An al- yes. alternative title for Cat Country might be Rather Than My Cat Hates Me, I Hate These Fucking Cats. Because anyone who's read Cat Country knows that pretty much every cat that our hero meets is a bastard. (laughs) It's it's funny because there are definitely moments in these books that would corroborate that. Um, (laughs) Like one of my, one thing I do particularly remember from from book five is one of the cats is really upset and one of the dogs uh, suggests to them, why don't you, uh, like, you need to chill out a bit. Why don't you go, like, knock a glass off the table? (laughs) Right. And does the cat take his advice? Um, that's never actually followed up on. Right. <laughs> but I wouldn't be too surprised if it is. There are plenty of scenes of cats knocking things onto the floor. <laughs> yeah. I suppose cat country is sort of, imagine an entire nation of cats, and they're either doing that or they're taking drugs. That's cat country. In a that nutshell. does sound pretty amazing, though. Yeah, it's a weird <laughs> book. Um, and then... Liter- uh, this one is a real reach, but there is a manhua translated you can get in English in book form in two volumes. I've read volume one, and it's a one. It was originally a Wang Shuo novel that's oh. I think best known as a film uh, that some a, a fan in China turned it into a manhua in Chinese, and it's I think a, a publisher called Zen Press who I think do mostly mangas and do some. Zen- Press. I think they're called that Zen Press. Rings a bell, but or, maybe not for the same reason. Or maybe is it Yen Press? Uh, let, hang on, let me do some googling here. Yen Press, not Zen Press. Yen Press. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll restart that. Um, can I restart it? I don't know. I'll I'll just start talking again and let the editing magic work it out. So this is a manhua uh, from a co- translate published in translation from a company called Yen Press who do mostly Japanese stuff, but some Chinese and Korean manhua as well. And it's, yeah, so it's it's about a lad. There's no animals involved. It's about young men and women during school kids who are playing truant, basically, uh, during mm-hmm. the Cultural Revolution in Beijing. And this lad just screws about, and it's part one of a two-parter. So in part one, like... There's no real like major plot. He sort of gets involved with an older woman, who sort mm. of um, is giving them giving him the runaround, and that that's it. Um, and I've still not found out how it ends because I've not read volume two, <laughs> and I'm literally only bringing it up because it has animals in the title, and it's the one manhua I've read in my life. Uh, there is one other thing that is also a reach, just because there are cats and dogs in it. Um, it's not Chinese, I'm afraid. Um, it's Haruki Murakami's Kafka on the shore. Oh, that has cats and dogs. 
There are cats and dogs in it. Um, or Clockwork Bird Chronicles. It's a very, very long slog of a read, but there's animals in that too. But they, they are just kind of like, they feature occasionally. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know uh, quite how, um, quite how closely that ties in, but it's, it's a suggestion. <laughs> I'm sure these are all worthwhile things relevant or not yeah, they're still excellent books i i highly rate if anyone is is looking for uh a bit of a surreal read actually i'd say that they're, they're quite surreal i but I, I love haruki murakami so it's pretty good pretty good books excellent and the final question what are you reading just now um something decidedly less exciting at the moment i'm actually reading uh a lot of <laughs> a lot of research-based text um which probably doesn't sound nearly nearly as fun as it is. Um, so primarily at the moment, I'm reading uh, studies in translation theory and practice. <laughs> um, I'm very sorry to not have something more exciting to share, um, but it's um, coming up to uh, what do you call it? Um, what's the word? Ah, mid-year report. Right. It's coming up to mid-year report time, so I'm having to do a lot of reading and a lot of uh, a lot of text prep. So I'd say primarily uh, what I'm reading is is all kind of very dry texts that are all very academic. Um, they're very interesting if you're interested in kind of uh, translation practice or theory or attitudes to uh particularly to, to kind of video game reception any of these will be interesting particularly multimodal transcription of analysis translation and subtitling of italian films by christopher j taylor so yeah that's that's what i'm reading right now <laughs> probably not quite the answer you hoped for <laughs> yeah. theory of subtitles i hope there's a, a marxist analysis of subtitles That'll oh there almost there's a marxist analysis of everything if there's if there's one thing I've learned <laughs> from having to search for resources, they do say it's a, a reliable frame or whatever. What I would suggest though is, although I'm not reading anything exciting at the moment, um, I know for a fact that uh, Dragonfly Eyes, um, Helen Wong's most recently translated work, is absolutely wonderful. So I'd recommend people go and check that out if they haven't. This is a pro Helen Wong podcast. <laughs> we love her. <laughs> Not that there's any anti ones, but yeah, she she rules. I'll I'll rattle off what I'm reading. It's it's a book by Louis Thoreau's dad. I did, oh. did not realize that when I picked it up, but oh god, he's called Paul Thoreau. He was a travel writer, or he he's still alive. Uh, he's a travel writer, and one of his books, I think just one, is about travels through China in the eighties, and it's called oh, wow. Riding the Iron Rooster. The Iron Rooster being, uh, I think that's a train from somewhere on the east coast all the way up to Xinjiang so he's traveling the country on the trains and it's named after one of the trains and it's pretty oh, that sounds it's, amazing it's pretty good it was a recommendation I got way back and I finally got around to it so I'd recommend that one so far nothing else crazy to say about it no cats or dogs have appeared just lots of trains well, there's a rooster no I haven't <laughs> got to the rooster yet we'll get there. but there is one yeah well <laughs> If there's not, I'll be I'll be sending the book back. Ask for a refund. Yep. No roosters. What what do you? What, what the fuck? <laughs> um, yeah, that that's all the questions. Is there anything else 
we've not touched on that's worth uh, mentioning about My Cat Hates Me apart from Go Buy It? Um, not really. It's it's an excellent uh, series of books for anybody of all ages. It's a lot of fun. It has its very tender moments. It has some heartbreaking moments as well. I did actually shed a couple of tears while in the translation process. So if you like being on an emotional roller coaster, um, and you also like very good artwork and cute animals and relatable situations, check it out. Also, happy, happy new year. Um, happy year of the rabbit. Oh, I am a rabbit myself. It is my year. I hope it is your year also. No, I'm a chicken. Oh, see, there's another rooster. Another rooster, <laughs> yeah. Rooster, uh, Chinese zodiac, I'm a rooster. Greek one, I'm the Shuangyu of Pisces. But I think my spirit animal is a bunny, so I'm hoping regardless <laughs> it'll be a good year for me. It will still be your year. That's what we that's what we want to see. That's what we want to see. Hope so, yes. Well, thank you for your time, Gemma. It's been a very interesting chat. Different from every episode I've done so far. <laughs> and that's I don't know if that's good or bad, but I hope it's good. <laughs> I guess that will depend on the listener, but I'm sure I'm sure they enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Very welcome. And we've reached the end of the episode, so I hope that satiated your love of all things feline. If you'd really like to read this one in translation, then I think you can pre-order it right now online. It's of course already out in Chinese um, across an entire series of books. If you enjoyed this episode, then you know go back and listen to all the others. A, a great place to browse them is the new podcast um, homepage that I told you about in the intro. So just again, that's churchofic.com, T-R-C-H-F-I-C.com. It is just a WordPress. If you if you put that URL in, it'll stick churchofic.wordpress.com and redirect you to that, which isn't as cool, but I wasn't going to pay the extra silly money every month to to have it not do that. So yeah, that, that's the new podcast uh, website. Please do browse around, have a look. If you'd like to support the show materially, there is a support page on there that just links you with some nice aesthetically pleasing buttons to the show's Patreon, which you can go directly to at patreon.com slash And also, um, I forget if it's the PayPal or the buy me a coffee or all three I link to. In any case, if you'd like to give a one-off donation, buy me a coffee and PayPal uh, have Trutrific pages the Patreon is your better choice really because that gets you access to all the bonus shows. I'm pretty sure there's over a hundred of them now. I keep I keep them coming out every I think it's every couple weeks. Um, they are queued up into February I think which means I'm probably going to need to make some more. Uh, they're generally speaking they're little 15 to 30 minute solo meandering thoughts for me on stuff I've read. Sometimes oh and the bonus answers to the bonus questions of course those are in there too. Yeah um if you'd like to give feedback to the show, um, social media is the best way to do it. We've got a podcast Instagram, which is just at Churchific, T-R-C-H-F-I-C. You can follow me, myself, on Twitter, at Angus Likes Words. I'm, <laughs> I had been a bit more subdued on Twitter for the last year or so, year and a half, because um, I had listed my, my job and my the uh, magazine I work for on there. I've got a new job and I won't be listing it on Twitter, so you can expect the shitposting to recommence. I'm going to be much sillier online because my New Year's resolution for 2023 is, is to be happy and shitposting will, will help in that regard, I think. So yeah, there's the, the third uh, good place to get in touch social media wise is Discord. Uh, the show has a Discord channel. There's a link in the show notes to that. 
it is quite a quiet discord perhaps it will become boisterous one day but yeah if you want to like throw out a question or share information with lots of other listeners rather than just one-on-one to me that's a good place to do that so yeah that that is pretty much all i can say uh, before silencing myself and letting you listen to whatever your next podcast episode is other than of course the best way you can support the show which is to spread the word tell your mum tell your laudia tell your evil cat and tell your little bird that you've named after a general from sanguo the three kingdoms and on that note sajian <laughs> <laughs>